Hail Church family. I just, as always, I just want to say thank you for having me and just allowing me to open up the word uh, with you. It's just, it's a sweet, sweet time. And today you're getting me and you may hear uh, Judah in the background. So you get the both of us this uh, just today as we go back to the mission of God. That, that's what Rob's been preaching on, right? Just how God moves because he's always on the move how we are supposed to move and then as the, as the body of Christ. But then what is the individual mission, right? Because there is a journey and a walk for all of us to step into that God has worked out in our lives. And so that, that's where we're going to uh, be looking at that. We're just going to expound a little more and a little further on that individual uh, walk. And today I'm going to be in Galatians chapters 5 and 6. Now here's the question. Here's a question that I want all of us to just sit with, even within the tension. It's, do we love people unconditionally? Do we love people unconditionally? I was having a conversation uh, with a buddy of mine in regards to uh, just the immigration work that, um, you know, that I do, and, and, and even us as a church, you as the body of Christ, coming alongside uh, Afghan refugees um, that have come into the, the greater Charleston area. And he had a just sincere question. He said, why do, why do you do what you do? Like, why would you take care of these people? And really like a cough, I just said, because Jesus said so. Now, in my mind, I kind of just went crazy. Like, that is such a Christianese cliche answer. Like, what is going on? But I kid you not, his response was simple. And he says, well, it makes sense. That's, why did I even question that? If you believe in Jesus, then you're just going to do what he says. He's not a believer. But his expectation is that if I believe in this God, Jesus, then I'm literally just going to do what he says. It's that simple. Why do we complicate it? Why was I so hesitant in trying to rearrange and find the right things to say? Jesus said it. Get it done. So that's the question we're looking at. Do we love people unconditionally? So here's what's happening in Galatians chapter 5. This is Paul the Apostle. Paul finds himself having to defend his calling, the mission from God that he has received, right? That's being usurped and tainted by a false narrative, bad theology, and just tradition. So that's what he's kind of wrestling with. In the in the book of Galatians, he's also in, in this in this moment because Galatians is, is really a region, all right. And the people of the region of Galatia, and that those churches, they're now turning to a faith not of freedom, but of fear. And they're telling others that tradition and Jesus is the way of salvation. You need Jesus plus something. Here's the third thing that's happening. People are not being loved unconditionally. And Paul's going to address this throughout uh, the book of, of, of Galatians and to the people of Galatia. I, I love Galatians. I Actually, it's six chapters. I read it like three times just through. So smooth. But outside of the book of Acts, what I have found is that Galatians just gives us a packed view at the who, what, uh, where, and why of Saul turned Paul, right, for the kingdom of God to the glory of God and to the good of, the, of, of us, 
the Gentile people, right? Those who are not Jews. It's been phenomenal. So I encourage you to go back, jump in, and just read it straight through. Again, I said in the beginning, so Rob preached on God's mission, right? God's mission for the church, and then God's mission for you and I. And so here in Galatians, we see that uh, these worked out in the individual uh, life of Paul as he moves into this, this realm of the Gentiles, where God was already on mission and doing a work. And so for us, when we are looking and listening to the heart of God, we find then that we become aligned to God and join him in his efforts. But are we listening and looking for that? God, as Paul says in, in chapter 2, verse 6 of God, he says, God shows no favoritism. Mm, that's good. God shows no favoritism, and he is moving Israel through the apostle Paul out of their comfort zones, okay, to embrace what has yet to be uh, understood and unveiled, really, all right? They're, they're, they're being called to love people who are totally different than themselves, their enemies even, unconditionally, without partiality without adding burdens. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, this is what happens. There was a faction of the Jews that thought that they could love others, right? Serve others, lead others to God by placing a burden of doctrine and traditions on the Gentiles that were meant, well, one, only for the Jewish people, but even more so, was not even longer, no longer needed for the Jewish people because Jesus already set them free. But they were going back to what was comfortable and what they knew. Again, the Jesus and. The Jews actually became a hindrance, right? A blockade in Gentiles coming to God. It was basically a mindset of we will care for you and you can be loved by God, but you must do and think as we do and think. So much so that they said bodily mutilation was the way to God's heart. And that's a topic of circumcision or not being circumcised here in Galatians that Paul uses. Paul goes and corrects their theology, their doctrine, their traditions by explaining and unpacking that the law and the Old Testament way of life, right, was no longer necessary and that loving God is possible by faith alone in Christ alone. There is nothing else to be added to it. And so I love this here in verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now we get into the nitty gritty because Paul writes a distinction of living in freedom and not using our freedom for our own gain, but the benefit of other people. So let's jump into chapter five. I go to verse uh, 13 with me, all right? This is after the agitators have gone around bugging Paul at this point, and you'll read that in chapter 5 there. But look at verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but 
Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. What's happening there is that when we don't have the mindset of loving others or putting others' best interests ahead of our own, that's why we go and, and these tensions and arguments and fights happen. We devour each other. Not just fight, we devour each other because we're not looking out for the best interests of others, but also many times we go into it thinking that we have others' best interests in mind, but we're coming with our own baggage, our own lens and understanding, bringing, right, the traditions and the doctrines, right, the theologies, sometimes bad theology, and saying, here, I love you, but this. And we got it. We kind of shake people around and say, you got to be like me rather than like Christ. He goes on and, uh, in verse 16, he says, so... So I say, live by the Spirit. You want, you want to act counter to right thinking and, and doing things our way? Live by the Spirit here. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Verse 17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want, but... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Because there is freedom. And so our freedom is used, again, for the benefit of other. What does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. How would you like to be treated in a situation? Spoken to, spoken with. In verses 19 to 21, what we're going to unpack here is that this is a life in the flesh without Christ, all right? And so without Christ, this is technically what we cling to. So my question is, is then, if we find ourselves in the habit of practicing these things, then maybe we need a heart check, right? Or maybe we need someone to confront us or correct us, or maybe it's an indicator that you are not in Christ because you find yourself just gravitated to these things, right? Not really wanting to fight them. And I think that's a, a, a bigger question and really a better conversation. Because I'm here to tell you, it's not about behavior modification and me telling you to stop doing these things first before coming to Jesus. No, it's come to Jesus and allow him to unpack these things in your life. Behaviors will change afterwards. Disciplines change afterwards because our focus is Christ. 19 through 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He's like, if I didn't get them all, just everything else. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, like those who are perpetually moving in this direction, right, not fighting against it, will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So he gives that comparison, and then he gives the other comparison, right? Which is verses 22 to 26. How do we counteract those things? We counteract the flesh by the spirit. And even exemplifies, right? We begin to exemplify the excellence of the Holy Spirit in us because he is working in us. Right. So it's not that we have it figured out, but that the spirit is working in us to bring life out of it. And so our life then begins to exude this living water, not the trash of the previous few verses. So what's this living water? Verses 22 to 26. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Right, like it gets summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. When you're living by the Spirit, all these things just start to bloom and come out and exude. People notice a difference. They notice that if you begin to kind of stray, because we will, right, and move into the area of the flesh, they'll see that we're fighting against that because we aren't perfect. Thank God for His mercy and grace, right? But they'll see that there's a fight there against such things. So let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. It's because of this spirit-filled and led life that we can and only can embrace the beauty of looking out for the best interests of others. Then we get chapter 6. 6 verse 1 says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. Caught. Caught in sin. It's a snare. It's a snare. It's, and, and literally in the Greek, it means to eat before others have the opportunity. And so what it's telling us is that this person has been eaten or taken over by sin. They didn't even have a chance. So if we start to then to view others, especially those who are not in the faith, as being caught in a snare, then we can go and move into what? Restore them gently. But he takes it further because he says, if they're a brother or a sister, well, duh, even more so. So restore that person gently, not bashing, not in frustration, not yelling, not shaming and guilt. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. You who live by faith, or some translations say you who are spiritual. I love this. Because what it's telling us is that you who are spiritual, meaning you that are the rational, spirit-led person, you're processing the information, that's truth, and you're moving in grace. Rational, spirit-led person. Those people respond in gentleness because they're being led by the Holy Spirit. That then exemplifies to the other person that you are now a tangible presence of God in this moment. 
whether it's with an unbeliever, right, or with a believer, moving with that understanding now, that mindset, that discipline, makes you a tangible presence of God in that moment. Then he finishes up verse one, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. And I love this because it's like, you gotta have a sense of awareness. Self-awareness is key, right? So with that sense of awareness, keep watch because while we are being led in the spirit, we are not the spirit and we are in sin, right? So the heart, the flesh can manipulate a situation and in turn then snare us. So watch, your, watch lest you also be tempted, right? Verse two, plain as day, love others as ourselves. I mean, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. There's no wiggle room there. Be there for each other in gentleness, in kindness. He says this in verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something, okay, okay, okay. When he is nothing, he deceives himself or themselves. And so verse 3 is saying not, not, not thinking highly of ourselves. So once again, self-awareness. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your spirit in my life, and that you're working in me, right? I'm not better than you, you're not better than me. We are working through this, uh, this, this walk of faith together and with the Holy Spirit. Verse four, he says, each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anyone else. I'll read that again, verse four. Each one should test his own actions, that he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. I love this. And it, maybe it stopped you in your track. Wait, what, pride? I can't be prideful. What do, you, what do you mean? Pride is a sin. Well, it's about having a little bit of self-confidence in the Lord. Like you were made to be only what you can be and who you are meant to be in the Lord. Like rest in that. Right? Find, find some joy in that, some confidence in that. And so I love it because he's saying, be mindful, check yourself, right? Test yourself and your motivations. That's great. Like ask yourself questions of, you know, what am I doing and why am I doing these things? I ask, and we've been discussing this at our staff uh, meetings, is even the good things in life we should test, right? Is what I'm doing Good, better, or best was the question that came up this week. Is the good work just good enough keeping me from the great work because it's scary and or may come at a sacrifice? So we sit with just a good enough mindset. But I love how verse 4 kind of ends because it says, Look at what God is doing and has done in you. So again, be proud. Walk with your head high. A little self-love and care. See, what that tells me is that, oh, that makes sense because if God is working in you and in me through the Holy Spirit, I hope that there's been some change in our lives. So we can kind of just sit back and say, okay, okay, Lord, I see some progress. 
then I can turn and be confident in the work of God and the work that he is doing and accomplishing within us and then praise him for that. Hmm, that's good. And then don't compare yourself to others. This is your journey. Verse five, he goes on and says, for each one should carry his own load. Take up your cross and go. Love others, encourage others, right? Correct where you can correct, be with them there. But this is your journey, so go. Take up your cross. Verse six is the teacher-student interchange. We celebrate and we see the growth there. And I love that because it says, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share in all the good things with their instructor. So it goes to show that we should be in a discipleship relationship. But it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I love verse seven and eight because they're self-explanatory. And it's not just the bad, but how are we living out the good is the question in verses seven and eight. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so, yes, if you sow, right, in sin and with the mindset of the flesh, you're reaping destruction. But, if, but again, but let's, let's look to the good. Let's look to the Spirit. If we focus there, the other stuff will settle itself because God's going to take care of that. So look to the Spirit. Sow in goodness. Go out, take a risk, sacrifice in goodness, right? To love others for the benefit of others. Look out for others' interests. Living out the good, which is why verse 9. Let us not become wary in doing good, but at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So focus on others and doing good. How are we living in such a way that others are loved as Jesus loves us and has told us to love others unconditionally? And I'm telling this to myself is that we need to stop worrying about if others will think that we're being tolerant, right? Just be there. Wrestle with the tension and gentleness and wisdom. Be kind. Let us be present. Enjoy the company of others without worrying about what the church folk are going to say. We sit here and Paul confronts Peter about this in chapters 2, verses 11 through 13. I'm actually just going to jump there. We'll just read that. Chapters 2, 11 through 13. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Peter's sitting there, enjoying the company, kicking it back, enjoying the food, drinking some beers with his new Gentile buddies, all right, just straight chilling, with the, really with the intent of loving on them, right? But then his church friends show up. Those are the circumcision. 
and he like literally like jumps back from the table, almost gives his plate to the dog, throws the beer in the plant. Like, you know, I, I'm not here. What's going on? You know, we're just chilling. And Paul's like, no, like, like, dude, just, just be there if you're going to be there. That's where God has called you to do. Right. But don't change just because of what others are going to say, because that's when the confusion comes in. That's what confuses unbelievers because now you're almost living a, a hypocritical life. Like, well, I thought you were cool. What's going on? Or you're adding to Jesus. It's no longer unconditional. We can't force unchurched and non-believing people to live in process like we do, especially if we aren't living to the same standards that we are imposing, Right. But at the same time, the church people will be okay. They have Christ and the Holy Spirit working in them. Let's be there for the unchurched, right? And then you can have a conversation later if anyone is truly concerned and not just wanting to pick a fight or gossip. That's this sitting in attention. That's this confronting. That's this being spiritual, right? Let's have some conversation. Hey, I saw you were doing this here. Like, what was going on? Let's talk about it. Then let's talk about it. But don't do it just to argue, debate, or a good, you know, gossip session. That's not what it's about. Verses 9 and 10 once more in Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up therefore. As we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's about the common good. And so Paul is going through here and he's asking the question, do we, do we love people unconditionally? Just being there. Loving them like Jesus loves them. Forget about political affiliation. Love them unconditionally. They're a little rebellious. Love them unconditionally. Oh, is there sin involved? Love them unconditionally. They're a little weird. Love them unconditionally, right? Not sitting there as with the American mindset, really, love unconditionally. They're undocumented when they came over across the border. They are to be loved unconditionally. They're refugees from Afghanistan. One guy with two wives, love them unconditionally. They want to go to the mosque, take them and love them unconditionally. Meet them where they are because Jesus met us where we were and that was dead and in our sin and he died for you and me. loved us unconditionally. There's a plethora of issues that have come up. Vaccines, masks, church buildings, inside, outside. I mean, every time you turn around, there's something else. Race issues in the church, right? Abuse in the church, manipulation of power, abuse of money. I mean, can we take a breather? Love others as ourselves. If we're going to fight, fight the sin in our lives. Fight the systems that oppress people. Love unconditionally because we are looking out for the best interest of others. 
which means there's going to be some sacrifice on our part, letting go of some traditions, some things that I like, the comfort zones. Because while we were yet sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. It's not about behavior modification. I don't want other people to look and think like me before they meet Jesus. I just want to bring them to Jesus, right? Not just to my way of doing things. The American dream is not heaven's gates. I don't want to call people to be church people. I want to call people to be kingdom people, to find the uniqueness of themselves, how God created them to reach other people that I can never reach, to be more in life, to see more in life for themselves. That's why I love, we were just, we wrapped up chapter five of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Beatitudes, it was a revolutionary sermon because it tells us that we can know, see, and taste heaven today on earth. And if God's mission is to draw all people to himself, which it is, and God's work is gonna be done by using his people to go out and make those connections, which it is, then the question is, how are you and I being a physical connection, hands and feet of God, presence and God's kingdom in that moment? Are we loving people unconditionally? Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Family, I love you. If you want to hash this out, let's hash this out. And I pray we do. I pray that Hope Church is known as a church that loves people unconditionally, and you're doing it. But let's refine that process as we look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, first and foremost, that you do love us unconditionally. Jesus Christ, while we were your enemies, you saw us. You saw us as needing a shepherd, as needing a friend, as needing a savior, as needing a, an embrace, a hug, a safe place, as needing love, as needing a refuge. And you sacrifice yourself for that so that we can finally come into the embrace of the Father, so that we can all, no matter the walks of life, we can all come to the table to sit together and commune with the Father. Common good and some, because you are the good Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for residing in us knowing full well the mess that we are, and yet you are making us more beautiful day in and day out to resemble the beauty of Christ and the uniqueness of us as we live life. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness, even when we are not faithful. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.